90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Cold. <laughs> yeah, it did get pretty chilly. <laughs> you know, I used to think that I wanted to live only in some place that there was snow and it was only summer for like two weeks a year. And I don't know, the older I get, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that. I hate it. I'm becoming more Oklahoman in so far as like Oklahomans love the hot weather. It's like living in Phoenix or something. It's a religion here. I mean, there are lots of religions here, but <laughs> that's a religion here. And I'm getting there. It was cloudy for like three days in a row and I was off my rocker. I'm like, all right, where's the sun? It's disappointing. It's not something I knew about myself till this last couple years. <laughs> <laughs> but I say it's cold because we got almost five inches of snow two days ago. <laughs> yeah, so there's a pretty massive weather system that moved through the, uh, the central plains and dumped significant amounts of snow across Kansas and Oklahoma. Yeah, I know this is no big deal for a lot of people, but... It is a huge, if you live somewhere where it doesn't snow very much, it's a huge deal when it does snow. A quarter <laughs> of an inch of snow can bring a large city to its knees. Oh, correct. It was all those memes. I loved it. When Georgia got snow, was that last year or the year before? All those memes with like cars on fire in the snow, you know, because <laughs> no one knew like how to drive or do anything. I mean, that's totally how it is here. My husband's from Iowa. He mocks me every time it snows. Because we all get so excited. But they closed school for two days. Inexplicably, everything was fine today. But whatever. That's fine. Did you do a, uh, a BTM run? A what? Bread, toilet paper, and milk run. Of course I did. <laughs> like everybody else in the Mid-South when it's about to snow? Yeah, of course. Because we might be shut in our houses for more than 12 hours. Which was hilarious because... Even though it snowed and they canceled school, my kid and I wound up, well, I decided to use, before I go too far, I decided to use the snow day to finally sit down and fix the broken screen on my Samsung Galaxy Active S6 phone. Which has not been made in quite some time. Quite some time. I got it in 2014 and it broke after it's been through hell and back. I mean, this phone was a workhorse and my son was trying to help me carry some stuff in from the car and he dropped it from the ridiculously tall height of maybe two feet <laughs> and <laughs> it just shattered. Um, this thing's been kicked down mountains before and it did not survive this two foot fall. And so I was like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be thrifty. I bought a new battery because it needed a new battery. It was starting to die after like half a day. And a new screen and all, like, the tools to do it. You know, I've got my heat gun. And I'm like, okay, I'm finally going to do this. I was too scared to do it forever. I was, I was afraid I was going to break it. And then I sat down to do it, and I broke it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so I don't know if I just didn't... I was really worried about the heat gun melting because I, I didn't think my LCD was broken underneath the glass. And so I was really worried about my heat gun damaging it. So I don't know if I just wasn't patient enough when prying at my screen or what and so as I pried it up to get to the uh 
to get to the battery, it the LCD shattered too. And I thought, you know, that's 50 bucks and that's not worth it for this phone. <laughs> no, I mean, already charging this phone in some ways is where it more, costs more than the phone was worth. Oh, absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. And so, oh, so I was like, well, I'm going to the AT&T store. <laughs> so my kid and I went to the AT&T store. No one was there. I mean, there were people working, but no one was there. It was the most attentiveness I've ever experienced. Um, and then we're like, well, while we're out, let's go to the movie theater. No one was there either. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we didn't even stay inside a full 12 hours. We were like, no, nope, we're good. I got a Subaru. I can do this. <laughs> There's a term for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called subris. Oh, I love it. And all of those people in Colorado where we lived <laughs> that exactly. had subarus that had no clue how to drive on the oh, snow yes. exhibited it subris. Subris, that's beautiful. God, there were so many subarus in Colorado. You're correct. Um, yeah, well, we did fine because I know how to drive in this. <laughs> it was a great day. Um, yeah, we... Uh, Gary McManus, the Oklahoma State climatologist, I know we've talked about how funny the things he puts out. And so one of the things he puts out in <laughs> anticipation of these big winter storm events is the Brahms DEFCON meter. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so Brahms is our local sort of dairy store, right? Ice cream, milk, fruits, veggies, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. And so we were at Brahms DEFCON. <laughs> what were we at? Brahms DEFCON 2, which was... I think get out of my way or something like that. Or the line begins back. Oh no. Brahms Defcon three is the line begins back there. <laughs> and Brahms Defcon two is get out of my way. And then one, right. one is like grab your ice cream and bread and run or something. So, so, uh, yeah, it was going to be a big event. It was so exciting. I love it when this stuff is forecast like days in advance and you just sit there and wait for it to happen. <laughs> Like, mm -hmm. It was great. It was just great. So Tuesday, we were all excited. Everybody I saw, I was like, see you Thursday. <laughs> you know, like no way anything was going to be open on Wednesday. And sure enough, we know, I mean, we don't learn our lesson because we canceled everything before one drop of precipitation fell from the sky. <laughs> Right, and I kind of expected that here because as well in our area, we were expecting, and I fully expected from looking at the, the model output, to be seeing somewhere between three and five inches of snow here as well. And uh, we got a very, very light dusting. That's yeah. It. See, I was worried that was going to happen to us. I feel like that always happens to us. And some of the models did. They really favored a more easterly dumping than what happened. Right. Instead, we ended up getting a lot of what I would term sneet. <laughs> it was kind of a sleety, groppily snow mix that was very hard to get off of windshields. But I went out with my infrared temperature gun and shot the road multiple times during the day. And it was always many tenths of a degree above freezing. Mm -hmm. So you didn't even get that cold then. No, I mean, we got into the 20s air temperature-wise, but the it's been so warm, the road surface has never actually hit 32. Yeah, that's why I was surprised that we closed schools for a second day, but um, because we also had been 
very warm, but we did definitely freeze over um, again. I think our low was like 13 or something. So I know a lot of you guys live way farther north than me. <laughs> And it's a big deal, but I just can't emphasize, emphasize how exciting this is when this happens in the South slash Southwest. <laughs> right. And so we thought that it would be a good time to talk about precipitation types and why we get them and why winter weather is so darn hard to predict. Yes. We had predictions of eight inches in southwestern Oklahoma, and we had predictions of four inches of rain in southeastern Oklahoma. And somewhere in between, people were going to get snow and people were going to get ice. And those are two very different things to prepare for. It's sort of like, you know, those at Mark Twain that had his weather forecast about alternating periods of light and dark with <laughs> high temperatures followed by low. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to do. And that's because winter weather events are sensitive to fractions of a degree temperature change within hundreds of feet of the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and like I said, when that's just figuring out what you're going to get. But there are tons of people who rely on these forecasts in order to figure out what they're supposed to do. And I say this, my brother-in-law plows snow for a living. So it's like he has to know exactly what kind of snow is going to come down, you know, if there's going to be ice first, if there's not going to be ice at all, if it's a dry snow, if it's a wet snow. I mean, all this depends on basically how his business runs. So this is true not just for private contractors like that, but for, you know, states and counties that have to go out and deal with this stuff. And they want to be prepped beforehand, especially here, you know, they want to get stuff down before anything starts to happen. But if you don't have the right stuff down you could have wasted a lot of money. And not only is it important for roads, but it's also important for things like the power infrastructure. A freezing rain event versus a snow event is a very, very different hazard for a power company. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, whether we have wind or not with our snow is a big deal too. So, But we always have wind because we're Oklahoma. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um, but when you're looking at this, I mean, we always look at vertical temperature profile changes but this is where this is really really important because it's not just cold versus hot or cool versus cold just like you said john it's that tenths of degrees around freezing that becomes super important in these winter weather types and how close it is to the surface because here is something that once you think about it is obvious but even when it's raining in the summertime that started out as frozen precipitation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference is that you have a very deep layer of warm air, so therefore it's liquid precip when it hits the ground in the summertime. Right. I mean, think of a lapse rate of 10 degrees per kilometer-ish. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be below freezing, even if it's 95 degrees at the surface, pretty quickly. Right. So way up there in your storm, you're getting all these little snowflakes and ice pellets and things. They're falling through those kilometers of above freezing air. And so by the time they hit you, they're potentially even not so cool of a rain. Right. And so to get a great snow, you just have to have that freezing layer all the way from where those little snowflakes start all the way to the ground. Right. So you've got this below freezing layer that's really deep 
starts with snow, ends with snow. Great. Right. And there are some other really weird circumstances where you can like melt and then freeze again. Yeah. So that's when you don't get that pretty snow. That's when you start to get weird stuff. Right. And those are cases where it's really hard to predict because it all depends on how fast that precipitation can freeze in the lowest potentially kilometer of its journey. Right. So you're literally worried about just what you said, you know, hundreds of feet or hundreds of meters to kilometers worth of air and whether it is 0.5 degrees C or minus 0.5 degrees C because their depth of that warm layer is what you're going to get these terrible things in. So you got this weird sneet stuff. So you probably had a shallowy warm layer somewhere in between your snow and your surface, but fairly high up. Yeah, it had to be pretty elevated because we had most of this stuff was in frozen form when it hit, but only part of it was snow. The rest of it was little round ice pellets, almost like grapple, which is sleet. Right. And so those pretty snows that you see where you're at the surface and all these light little flakes are falling, you can pick them up and you can see all their little hexagonal beauties, right? All that stuff starts to melt in these shallow layers and kind of conglomerate together and it becomes this gross roundish groppily stuff right so that's where your transition from your pretty hexagonal ice crystals to sneet (laughs) right uh and it's really interesting to see these soundings that go up (laughs) uh, around these kind of events Mm -hmm. um it's just that tiny it's like watching the soundings waiting for the caps to break in the springtime right yeah, and you know, we're we're okay at predicting temperatures, but on any other day, if we nailed the high and low temperature forecast to within a degree, we'd be patting ourselves on the back. And that's not to count the predicting the profile on a hundreds of meters scale. And now it's making all the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It just kicks it up a whole nother notch of complexity and just I don't know if you read more about I don't mean you reading more I don't know if I feel like people rely forecasters rely more on models in the winter or in the summer to figure out you know where convection is going to happen versus like what you're going to get with these temperature profiles I don't know yeah and I I can't imagine that we can do that well with these complex temperature profiles because things like terrain become really important. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So where are you in that temperature profile when you start to get hit with this precipitation? Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah. And the scary one happens, and maybe this is, I feel like this one is more obvious, is the freezing rain events. And so just like you said, everything starts with snow. But then if you get this warm layer, and instead of it ending up as sleet, you get this really deep warm layer where all your precipitation melts into liquid water, right? And so you got liquid water, and they come down, and you've got a really shallow, below-freezing cold layer at the surface. 
And then you get these super cooled raindrops. And whenever they hit anything, they freeze to it. And this is the freezing rain situation. But super cooled is kind of a weird thing too, right? Right. Uh, but this is also where you start getting like your quarter of an inch, half an inch ice accumulation on trees and power lines. Things start falling down. Infrastructure fails quickly. Uh, uh, it is it is the bad one. It's by far my least favorite of these. And you're right, because you, you have these water droplets coming down that are potentially at freezing or even below freezing, but still liquid. So they and the need... second they hit something, right. it's ice. So they're looking for, for something to nucleate on, <laughs> right? And instead of cloud condensation nuclei, it's basically ground condensation nuclei. Right, and, <laughs> you know, I think in, in most winter weather events, at least in this region of the U.S., I occasionally have seen, okay, yeah, it just starts snowing. But most of the time, we go through the whole progression yeah. as a cold front moves in and starts displacing that warm air. And we get thinner and thinner and thinner warm layers. Like, I've seen rain, go to freezing rain, go to sleet, go to sneet, go to snow. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's usually true too there are few circumstances i can remember where it was just it's been cold it is cold it snows a whole bunch and that's it because so this is what happened nothing had fallen in the afternoon and something was coming from down in the southwest who knows when right they canceled everything and then we had a basketball game at eight o'clock that night and we go out and it's raining on us so it's raining as we get into the basketball game, and then it's this weird freezing rain type stuff as we left the basketball game an hour and a half later. So, yeah, it's that progression, and that's when everybody's like, oh, what is going to happen? But by the morning, it had all changed over. We had that deep, cold layer, and we had... It wasn't the prettiest snow, but it was definitely deep snow. <laughs> right, and, you know, when, we, when I lived in Pennsylvania uh, doing grad school, this, you know, we did just get snow because it would be very cold for very long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Tuesday, I think it was 75 here. Right. Yeah. It was wonderful. Well, Monday. Yeah, it was about 70 here. So we had mm-hmm. we had some pretty drastic temperature swings. Another tricky thing about snow is you say, okay, well... Let's just imagine that we have a very deep cold layer. So we're going to get snow. It's not going to go through. We're just going to get snow. How much snow are we going to get? <laughs> well, <laughs> rainfall forecasting is already tricky. You know, uh, QPFs, quantitative precipitation forecasts, are already not always the best. But saying a half an inch of rain and, okay, well, it was actually a quarter or, okay, it was actually three quarters is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if I say five inches of snow and we actually get one, or if I say five and we actually get eight, those are big differences, but it's about the same amount of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. But that's also, yeah, a bigger difference in how infrastructure works. Right, and it's just because, you know, that, that liquid equivalent, if you go out and take a core of the snow and melt it, how deep would that rain have been 
it varies drastically with different types of snow, which has all to do with temperature and humidity profiles. So even if we can predict it's going to snow, can we predict what the liquid water equivalent is? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I always, uh, when you say liquid water equivalent, I mean, to me, there's, is it good snowball snow or is it not? That's what we're looking right. at. Would it hurt or would it not make a snowball? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's... That's a weird thing. And this is what people say, you know, wet and dry snow is what the no, the common nomenclature would be for, you know, the liquid water equivalent of the snow. Right. And there are some pretty interesting ways I've seen people measure this. Uh, the simplest one is to get a PVC pipe and cut it to a known length and go out and take a core and come in and melt it and pour mm-hmm. it into a rain gauge. Yep. Uh, I've seen that done. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you're pipe diameter and rain gauge diameter have to match yada 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 okay. yes <laughs> um but i've also seen a pretty interesting system that used i think they call it snow pillows okay uh, like inflating a bag to try to figure out what the weight of the snow was and oh. determine the snow density and like you were measuring the depth with an ultrasonic sensor it, it was a pretty interesting idea i wonder how that compares to the pvc pipe rain gauge I don't know. I haven't seen anything on it, and I haven't heard anything about snow pillows in a while. Hmm. Uh, but it, it was certainly an intriguing idea, and it was something that I had thought about for a while, too. It was like, how can we actually measure liquid water equivalent? Because when we were in Pennsylvania, it's something I really wanted to know a lot of times is, how miserable is my walk or bus ride in going to be? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do I need to wear the little... Uh, springy coil traction things on the bottom of my shoes or not today (laughs) oh man i definitely bought some of those for some of our ice storms yeah those are great you've never seen anything fantastic (laughs) yeah you've never seen anything until you've seen people at a corporation well women at a corporation walking around with those on their high heel shoes it's amazing (laughs) (sighs) yeah (laughs) but i digress yeah and so Even just forecasting the type of precipitation is hard. Forecasting the amount is even harder. Mm. So when you're criticizing your winter weather forecasts, just think about all these difficult decisions that have to be made with really a shockingly small amount of data. What, a little over 30 sites are sending up soundings twice a day in the U.S., and we're basing how much snow your house is going to get based on a sounding that might be a three-hour drive away. Mm-hmm. and six hours apart from when the snow actually falls. Yeah. Yeah, that's outrageous to think. When you really think of it like that, it's amazing we can get any forecasting done at all. It, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> because you see model output, and you're like, oh, well, these models have very detailed output. And they do, but they're only as good as the data that goes in, and we don't really have enough. Right, and like I said, if you were looking at them even five hours before this event started and this is the difference between a trained forecaster and oh we've got these models why do we need forecasters because it looked like you were going to get pounded and you didn't get anything right uh and i would also be very curious to know any of the models have to take into account like the change in albedo of the surface or reflectivity from the snowfall mm-hmm. uh, but this morning i was watching on uh, goes east and you could just watch the snow across the region start melting throughout the day it was really cool yes i definitely looked at that this evening too that was um super excellent my daughter was not happy about it (laughs) 
Let me tell you. <laughs> she went into school today, very excited that it was still snowing, even though there was just snow on the ground. And she comes out and she goes, where'd it go? <laughs> so, yep. But we're Oklahomans, so we'll just have to wait till the next uh, the next round, four years from now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, which is sometime in the next several years. You're right, exactly. We haven't had a good... Uh, we haven't had a good ice storm in quite some time, so I'm sure that's what we've got up next. Why do you have to say things like that? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yes, I remember being out of school for over a week mm-hmm. due to an ice storm when I was in middle school here. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I've missed finals. Oh, yeah. I mean, canceled finals, not me personally missing finals. Right. That sounds like a nightmare I might relive tonight just by giving that a voice. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, I thought this was just a a fun, quick topic, and it's sort of in the vein of summer shorts, which were never short. Correct. So uh, there's this one instead. <laughs> right. But we actually managed to cover it in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> uh, and we have some pretty fun interviews lined up. Uh, we've mentioned before that we've got some upcoming that are going to talk more about weather and forecasting and all the little things that go into weather that you don't think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get a bad rap, but um, it's hard. <laughs> oh, yes. But, uh, you know, you could always just make it up. <laughs> Which leads us into everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. <laughs> Yay. That was good. That was a real good, uh, real good intro. <laughs> you, you know, I've been working on the, the transitions. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this paper you found is called "The Nine Circles of Scientific Hell." <laughs> I love it. It's super funny. <laughs> it is, and uh, so this is from Perspectives on Psychological Science. Mm-hmm. Uh, copyright the authors, twenty twelve. It's just listed as a neuroskeptic. <laughs> um so i'm really obsessed with you know dante and all that jazz so this was pretty funny to me right so this is based on inferno off uh, from the divine comedy Uh and in there dante gives a tour of nine levels of hell each worse than the last and you're tormented in various ways Mm-hmm. Right, um, exactly. Based on your sins, right? Right. And really, the only, you know, everybody makes a sin mm-hmm. uh, of different levels of egregiousness in, in this story. And that determines where you go. And these authors say that, indeed, there are different levels of scientific sin and a corresponding nine levels of scientific hell. <laughs> so actually some of these I find very interesting, the placement of, um, so I mean, the first circle is limbo, right? It's not punishment. You're just sitting there in limbo. And they say this is reserved for scientists, not necessarily who have committed the sins themselves, but have turned away while other people didn't. Right, and so you have to sit on top of a mountain watching the carnage below, reflecting <laughs> on how you're partially responsible for it. <laughs> uh, as you descend, the next circle is overselling. <laughs> this was my favorite. Oh, nice. Okay. Because every academic paper, in some way, 
has to bolster the results. That's how you get grant money for continued work, right? Right, exactly. You're saying, well, you know, we solved, and part of it is trying to make your work more relatable to the general problem. Mm-hmm. But many times it goes a little past that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you say, okay, well, we solved this one little piece of this one little part of one part of the first third of this puzzle, but this is the most important thing ever. Does it contribute to our overall understanding? Yes, that's how science works. We slowly chip away at all the little details until we understand it. But saying that any one detail is, you know, the solution is probably not uh, yeah. exactly true. Uh, my favorite one is always that, you know, this has never been attempted. Oh, I'm trying to think of the best wording, whereas, you know, this has never been attempted before insofar as the author's knowledge. <laughs> it's like... Our novel experimental approach, uh-huh. and then there's a citation. Yeah. That's my that's my favorite. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, and anyway, so in the second circle, uh, <laughs> oh, I love this. You're trapped in a huge pit, up to your necks in horrible sludge. Each center is provided with a single rung of a ladder labeled "The Way Out." Scientists crack problem of second circle of hell. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yes. Um. Oh man, this one is so great too. I know so many people that are guilty of the third circle sin, which is post hoc storytelling. Also known as bag shaking. Uh. (laughs) You Uh. put some data in a bag, turn it upside down, and see what comes out. And that's actually what you were looking for the whole time. Oh, my gosh. That is one of my most despised personality traits. (laughs) I knew that was happening. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, my poor son, every time he's like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought would happen. And then I just attack him because it's my personal vendetta against that kind of talk. Right. So what happens in the third circle, Shannon? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you're running around and you're dodging the arrows of demons who are firing from you at their bows, more or less random. But every time you get hit, the demon proceeds to explain to you at length that that's the body part they were aiming for all along. (laughs) Yeah, and so that's a pretty accurate summary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. See, I would have thought this next one would have been your favorite one. (laughs) You know, I enjoyed this, um, but I still still like overselling. Yeah. So the the fourth circle is p-value fishing. (laughs) And it's for those who have tried every statistical test until they can get a p-value of less than 0.05 or 95% confidence and find themselves, they find themselves here. Uh, So you're in a lake, you're on a boat, and you have to fish to eat. Uh, You have a huge selection of fishing rods and nets, and they're named things like bays, student, spearmen, etc. I love it. Um, But when you catch a fish, only one in 20 of those fish are edible. So, though you might be able to use a different technique and get more fish, you're always going to be hungry. (laughs) That was pretty good. That was a really good, good punishment circle, I thought. Yeah. Um, The fifth circle screams PMAG, I'm going to tell you. Uh, Creative use of outliers. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, actually, five, seven, and eight. Hey, now. (laughs) Uh, But seven and eight apply to many areas, including 
uh, some that I've worked in. So, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the creative use of outliers. So this is when you uh, clean up your results. Mm-hmm. You you say mm-hmm. my data makes sense as long as we ignore these points. Mm-hmm. Which correspondingly, the punishment is demons pluck out your hairs one by one explaining that each one there's just something a little bit wrong with it so they're going to take it out right <laughs> man this is all p mag is like if we didn't do that this whole circle is full of paleomagnetists <laughs> <laughs> like that's all think, there is <laughs> i think that's a title oh uh, <laughs> it's true though <laughs> so that one that one kind of bit closer to home but six is Definitely, man, see, I probably would have made this the eighth circle, but the sixth circle is plagiarism. Right, and it's empty because (laughs) as as soon as you arrive, you're carried to another circle to suffer the punishment of someone else. I love that. (laughs) And then you're there for three years, and then you get moved to another circle. That's so beautiful. (laughs) Such a beautiful one. So now seven and eight, these are the interesting ones, I thought. Like, I don't know if, as I was trying to make the nine circles of scientific hell, I don't know if this is where my thoughts would have gone to, but it's true. I don't know if I would have distinguished between these two. Correct. Yes. But I would have had them at least in lump sum as one circle. I wonder if this is specific to, like, certain things in the medical realm or something like that, you know, wherever neuroskeptic is scientific expertise lie. I wonder if this is like a distinction that's made. Right. Yeah. So in non-publication of data, you're uh, chained to a burning chair in front of a desk covered with broken typewriters. (laughs) And if you can write an article describing your predicament, you're set free. (laughs) I feel this is just like me just, yeah, not publishing in general. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's interesting. Each desk with the typewriters on it, it has a file drawer stuffed full of these articles, but the drawers are all locked. <laughs> and this one, this one was the one where the punishment seemed most out of line with the crime. Yeah. This is why it's interesting to me that this is like the seventh circle of hell is not publishing like non-publication of data. That's very interesting to me. Like, like I think non-publication is a very big deal because then you, you know, you took money to do the work and that work is not being made available. Mm-hmm. But it's not being made available because you didn't do it, not because you couldn't, whereas here you can't with the yeah. broken typewriters. See, that's why this one was the most interesting to me for that reason. And also, this is that whole, you know, jokingly, everybody says the journal of null results. But it's like for PMAG specifically, I mean, there's so much upfront work that goes into collecting paleomagnetic data. And to not have a repository of null results, like that everyone uses. I know there is a a magic database, but a lot of people just use that for results at work. It's like, that could save a lot of time. Yeah. (laughs) A whole lot of time. Because I can't tell you, well, I can. It's probably like five times where I've gone to a specific site to collect data. And there are paleomagnetic cores taken there but there's no published data about that area. And so is it just this, the sin of not publishing the data that you've collected? Or is it, it's a null result, which I wish I'd known, but now I'm going to have to go through the very time-consuming process of figuring that out myself. 
Right. Yeah. So this one was real interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's followed by the eighth circle, which is partial publication. <laughs> um, so is this like cherry picking? <laughs> I think so. It, this is where maybe, yeah, the fact that this is more psychologically based. Um, but so here, half of the sinners are chased around by demons, prodding them with spears. The demons chose which group to chase at random after ensuring the groups are matched for age, <laughs> gender, height, and weight. <laughs> the best part is that there's weather here. And the windy, howling air is filled with a torrent of articles announcing the success of a new program to enhance participation in physical exercise with no side effects. <laughs> right. And so I think this is... This is cherry picking, which is sort of the opposite of creative use of outliers. Right. This is so this is where I was like, huh, you know, how do those correspond? But yeah. And so, but then we get to, uh, <laughs> and I wish this wasn't a thing in science, but it is uh, the ninth circle, which is just inventing your data. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the worst. I mean, this is the worst. I think if everyone had to create nine circles of hell, almost every scientist would probably have this as the worst. Right. And the, the punishment um, <laughs> is you are trapped in a solid block of ice forever with an article frozen in front of your eyes that is explaining very convincingly that water cannot freeze in the em environmental conditions of this part of hell. <laughs> Unfortunately, the data were made up. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a great stick figure of the nine circles of hell too. So you should totally look this up. <laughs> I do love that the figure says, "With apologies to Dante and XKCD." Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is very XKCD. Yes. Oh, uh, that's lovely. Yeah, this is pretty funny. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, so there are your nine circles. If you've got thoughts on how you would have broken down the nine circles of scientific hell, because uh, I certainly think we might have structured them slightly differently, but with mm -hmm. basically the same themes, uh, we would love to hear it. Shannon, how can folks send us their nine circles of scientific hell <laughs> or report their precipitation type this week? <laughs> send us your snow and punishments to show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And I have a new phone, so I'll be on Twitter more. <laughs> And also, as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you may do so. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.